Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. evening, as Tom and Reagan have said, we're carrying on our series in Philippians. About 12 years ago, Mary, myself and our family moved over to the United States, the east coast of the United States of America, about an hour north of Boston. And uh, we lived there two years. We went for one year, stayed two. Our main goal was to help some churches that have been planted and also to help the main church that had um, sponsored those church plants. One of the highlights for us was always to go into Boston and to go into the North End, which was the Italian Quarter. And uh, you would walk around there and uh, you'd see these old guys that would be sitting out of the front of their houses on the almost on the pavement and, uh, and it was just like being in the Mediterranean. If you've ever been uh, to any of the Mediterranean countries, you, you see these uh, retired guys sitting, drinking coffee, chatting. And uh, we, used, we just loved it. And um, I noticed on um, uh, Google, uh, there was a write-up about the North End. And uh, this is what it says. Boston's Little Italy, better known to locals simply as the North End is perennially popular neighbourhood to explore. Its neighbourhoods filled with sumptuous, authentic cuisine, engaging cultural events and plenty of historic buildings. When we used to go up there, which uh, was uh, quite often, we had a kind of tour that we tended to do. And uh, the first thing that we would do is we'd go to Regina's Pizza. And uh, if you actually Google Regina's Pizzas, it's been going decades. And uh, on the wall, you'll see presidents. It's uh, one of the um, uh, main places that people go to. And to be honest with you, it's nothing kind of special in terms of the way it is. It's uh, on the back street, but it's a fabulous place when you're inside. And uh, we just loved it. You, we would go there and then when we had our pizza, would go round the corner to Mike's Pastries and uh, there you'd get cannolis and you'd get some fabulous uh, cakes and pastries and we always used to take a box full home for our kids uh, when we went back. Uh, the interesting thing about it though it's it, it was called as uh, it says on the Google Little Italy and uh, it was it's basically full of Italian immigrants that moved there after the war and set up uh, home there. And uh, I want to look at the uh, last uh, few verses in chapter one of, of uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And basically, at the very end, Paul talks about citizenship. And uh, the Philippians were very proud Roman citizens. And uh, you could say, just like uh, Boston and the North End was Little Italy, you could say 
Philippi was little Rome. They were proud of their Roman citizenship and all around the Roman Empire there was these little colonies that actually had all the hallmarks of Rome and all the rights um, of Rome. And uh, it's interesting, they would speak Latin, they would wear uh, Latin clothing, and they insisted on stubbornly being uh, Roman. The original settlers there were probably uh, soldiers who actually would have given land at the end of their uh, career. And uh, so that's how um, Philippi grew and, and prospered. And so I want us to look through these verses that Reagan read with that as the backdrop that basically this group of people, this colony uh, of Philippi, the, the people of Philippi, basically saw themselves as Roman citizens, even though they were in another nation. Now, Paul, he's actually probably in Rome at this time. He's definitely in prison, and he's writing from probably a Roman prison to this little Roman colony. And he says this in verse 19 of chapter 1. I know that as you pray for me, and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. So Paul is saying, look, I know you guys have been praying for me. I know that you're constantly um, on, on, on your minds, that uh, I'm here in prison and that you're praying for my deliverance. And uh, he knew that actually... God could do that and uh, they knew that as well because when Paul was in uh, Philippi the very first time he went there to preach the gospel very soon he was put into jail and uh, he had this extraordinary uh, event where him and Silas in the middle of the night were praying singing hymns bringing glory to God and there was just a massive earthquake and uh, all the doors of the prison opened and uh, the guard who probably was an ex-soldier he came running in hearing all this noise and commotion and saw all the doors open and basically was going to commit suicide because fundamentally if the if the prisoners had escaped then he was going to die and then he noticed that Paul and Silas were still in prison they were still there they had stayed. And so he went and talked to them and uh, asked them all about why they were there. Eventually, that evening, him and his whole household gets saved and become the foundation people of that church. But you see, the Philippians knew that story. They knew that incident. And so they were praying like, my God, do it again. Deliver Paul. And so Paul said this, I know that as you pray for me, okay, and that the Spirit of Christ helps me, it will lead to my deliverance. James put it this way in James 5, uh, 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, there'll be no rain would fall 
not fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent rain and the earth began to yield crops. Paul was, Paul was confident of prayer. He always was asking for it wherever he went, whatever churches he planted. He always said, pray for me for my next uh, thing that I'm going to do. And uh, we need to pray. We need to pray more now than ever before. We need to pray for God to deliver us from this uh, virus, but we also need to pray for God to move and to God to have glory in the nations. I was preaching this morning at our Ladybourne congregation and praying that God, you know, reading from Psalms, would actually show his glory to all the nations for revival to come. And for Paul, actually, he was more interested in the glory of God being spread and salvation coming to people than actually his own physical deliverance. But he was confident that prayers would be answered. And he was also confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you get these two things, kind of what we do, that uh, we can pray, as James said, earnestly praying. But he was also the confident of this, that God's sovereignty could do anything. And that's what, exactly what happened when they were in prison. And it could happen again. In fact, he said to the Corinthian church, look, you understand I came in weakness, timid, trembling, and my message and my preaching were uh, very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul in chains is basically, I'm confident your prayers and I'm confident in the power of the Spirit will bring my deliverance. But we could think, okay, deliverance, that means another earthquake or that means him getting out of prison. No, actually, Paul, it, it was a bit, he was, it, it wasn't quite like that for him. And uh, because he goes on to say in verse um, 20, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die. You see, actually his deliverance was that actually Christ would be honoured. His deliverance was that more people would get saved and that honour would come whether he lived or died. And it is important that that perspective is part of our life as well, because ultimately God is in control. God is the maker of heaven and earth, and that God ultimately is sovereign over everything. And Paul understood this, that actually uh, it's been giving him honour is the most important thing. So he goes on to talk about life and death. Um, which is interesting in this whole thing of praying for deliverance and praying that he's confident that God would do stuff. He says this, for me, living means for Christ and dying is even better. But if I can live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I want to go with Christ, which would be far better for me. 
but for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. It's interesting. One of the commentators says this about these verses. It's like two equally strong external forces pressing in on him, vice-like, from both sides, death and life. That actually both were gained. Both had merit. In the end, the greater merit was to be with Christ. But also, if he had deliverance from prison to live a few more years, then actually it could be a blessing to the Philippian church and to plant other churches. Matthew Henry says this. He's a 18th century Puritan commentator. And it says, death is a great loss to a carnal worldly man for he loses all his comforts and all his hopes but to a christian it's gain for it is the end of all his weakness misery and the perfection of his comforts and accomplishments of his hopes it delivers him from all the evils of life and brings him to the possession of the chief good it really is interesting when you read those verses in our current circumstances because actually in our world we are besotted to extend life and that's good news when you're 64 like i am this coming week then actually i'm grateful for the medics for the uh, for the scientists uh, for health that has actually helped us have a prolonged and good and uh, helpful life. But in the end, when we have this pandemic, we suddenly see actually it's quite a fickle thing. And when you save for pensions and when you actually put all your, co uh, all your hopes in the comforts of this world, then actually, basically, it could just go like that. And the economy could just go like that. It's quite an interesting time that we're living in. And suddenly this whole aspect of death, which in the Western world we tend to try and not talk about. It's, it's something we, we don't, it's, it's, it's not on our radar. We don't want to, to face it. Whereas... In other countries, it's, it's much more real and much more, it, 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 there's so many more people dying at a young age. And so we see here the carnal worldly man loses all his comforts and hopes. And the Christian is gained. And that's what Paul's basically saying is, look, for me, actually, I can see the gain. I'm not going to be stoned. I'm not going to be imprisoned. I'm not going to be whipped. I'm not going to be shipwrecked. I'm not going to be thrown out of cities. I'm going to be with Christ. That is massive gain. But actually, if I stay here, I can serve him. I can see more people saved. So that's what Paul's saying, that basically for me to live is Christ and to die is gain as well. So, Paul goes on then to say this, verse 25. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive 
so I can continue to help you grow and experience the joy of the faith. Now, when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what I'm doing. So can you see here what Paul's trying to do? He's saying, look, I am confident that your prayers are going to make me get out of this situation. I'm confident in the power of the Spirit. But he wants to make sure that actually we lift our heads higher than that, that there's a greater gain. There's a greater reward that actually, in the end, to be with Christ is the greatest deliverance. That we can look at deliverance now, we can look for deliverance from this pandemic, we can look for deliverance against this economic crash that could happen. And that is good. And Paul's confident, actually, that uh, at this time, that the prayers will be answered. But for me to live is Christ, he said, and to die is gain. It's even better. And it's really important that we have those two perspectives of God intervening in our life now, but making sure that we have eternity truly in our gaze, that actually in the end, that is the greatest deliverance. And then, just wrapping this up, we come to verse 27, which is a little bit where I started, because it says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the good news about Christ. And as I said, this was... These people understood they were little Rome. They understood what it was like to be a Roman living in another nation. And now Paul's taking this and saying, look, you know what that is. Now live not as Romans in Philippi. Live as citizens of King Jesus. Live as in a manner that Christ wants you to live. You know what it's like to talk Italian. You know what it's like to dress Italian. You know what it's like to be proud to be Roman citizens. Now, you're now not a, just a Roman citizen. You're a citizen of King Jesus, heirs of Christ. Fabulous. And basically saying now, Live as Christ would live, worthy of the salvation that you've got, worthy to be named Christian. It's interesting that uh, on another trip to the States, before we went to live there, I went to Missouri um, and St. Louis, and I walked down to the Mississippi River at an afternoon off, and there was a load of noise going on and there was a lot of shouting and, and the big parties and it was all green and uh, there was marquees all the way down the river and lots and lots of people and it was St Patrick's Day and the Irish were out in mass celebrating and you know a bit like the Italians were almost more Italian in the northern quarter it felt like the Irish were more Irish there in St. Louis because basically 
they were looking back to where their homeland was and uh, they wanted to be identified with where they came from and again it's the same thing our citizenship now is in heaven we need to be identified as sons and daughters of the king live a manner worthy of the good news of christ so whenever i come and see you again or only hear about you i will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose fighting together for the faith Basically saying this, standing firm when suffering comes. Because he says, you, we are in this struggle together, in verse 30. And you've seen my struggle in the past. Okay, and so we need to stand firm. In our day, we need to stand firm, confident that we're truly born again. Confident that eternity is our destiny. And also we need to be united. And he's saying, I know that I will see you standing together with one spirit and purpose. It says in the Old Testament that when people dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. Tom talked about that song, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. It's one of my favourite, favourite prayers. And you know what? We want the blessing of God on our city, on our nation. And one of the ways that comes is by the people of God dwelling together in unity. It says God commands a blessing. And then he says, finally, be courageous. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. For we end this struggle together. Courage. You know, God wants us to be courageous. Courageous in our faith. Courageous in our optimism that God is for us. Full of courage full of hope, full of grace and mercy. The good news is this, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I love this letter to the Philippians. It's one of my favourite books. Now may God bless you. And may God keep you and may God let his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen.